Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets fans? Back here for episode number 28 of the Mets Up Podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Schiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the New York Mets' weird week thus far. We wrapped up a three-game series against the Atlanta Braves. Then we had that little weird one game against the Washington Nationals that we'll briefly talk about. It feels like it happened, honestly, a year ago because this series with the Braves had a lot of up and downs. But the same consistent theme with this New York Mets team that we've been talking about for what feels like the last few weeks here, no offense. So we're going to talk about all the games that happened in these last few days, talk about the series, preview the New York Yankees one, the Subway Series coming up this weekend, as well as our prospect report that we do every single midweek episode. So if you guys are are enjoying watching, listening, whatever you're doing, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at MetsUp, YouTube channel MetsUp Podcast, even though there won't be a video out for this one. We're coming back. I'm coming back from my mini vacation hiatus, and we'll be back on the grind with the videos as well. Make sure you also are listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Drop us a five-star rating. Follow the podcast. Whatever you got to do, it really does help us out. And now is when I bring in James to get his um, initial thoughts on what just happened this week, because it's been not great. More than this week, this most recent game is what's wearing on my mind. I think that's definitely where we should start today. Yeah, let's just go right into it because game three against the Atlanta Braves, we're starting off with the most recent one, the one that is fresh on our minds. I wish it wasn't fresh on my minds. I wish that this game could just get blasted out of my brain. I mean, it could have been worse. Ender Inciarte could have walked it off. But the Mets lose a game that we didn't deserve to win. There's by no means that this is a game that we should have won. I'll ask you something. When's the last time the Mets played a game they deserve to win? Because I, I can't find it in my brain. It's been the Cubs? quite some times, yeah, since this team has played well. I mean, I'm thinking probably the last time we were both at the game together. Yeah. That's about it. This team is so off right now. The one saving grace, again, is that the pitching is so good. And we got to start off by talking about Jacob deGrom because, of course, he made the start tonight. And he weirdly put us in a hole right from the get-go. Three runs in the first inning uncharacteristic of him. He looked human for a second, but then he turned out and had a great appearance. He did. DeGrom starting this game was really bizarre. This was, last week we said he was human. This was the first time that he was, dare I say, hittable at any point this season. His ERA jumped over one for a, oh, for a, portion, hey for a portion of this game on the season. That was kind of upsetting to see. Fucking Eri Adrianza. I think that was a slider in the first inning that he sent out deep for a triple. It was a weird start. And Austin Riley 
0-2 home run. I feel like all the home runs that DeGrom gives up are 0-2 pitches. I remember the Jazz one very vividly that we were there for. It was a weird start. I've never seen, I, not that never, because it's been a couple of years, but we haven't seen DeGrom get bum-rushed like this in a few years, pre-COVID times. And I think what makes this start even crazier is that as bad as that first inning was, because it was a bad first inning, DeGrom still had probably one of his, like, technically better starts, not only of the game, but, like, of his career again in terms of strikeouts. He struck out, what, 14 guys in six innings or seven innings? 14 total. Eight in a row. Ronnie and Gary were geeking out about getting near Tom Seaver's record again, which how how often have we talked about Tom Seaver's 10 consecutive strikeout record this year? This hasn't been talked about for, what, 30 years? And now we're mentioning it like every single week in Mets land. Two consecutive podcasts we've talked about. It. It's crazy. Well, seemingly we've every time Jake DeGrom gets on the mound, it's going to be brought up because he just has that kind of stuff. And also, apparently, anytime you're a strikeout pitcher and you face the New York Mets, you also are going to get brought up in this conversation because this offense is abysmal right now. It is limping. Yeah. I don't even know. You got to take it out behind the, the barn and give put it out of its misery because something's got to change. But back to DeGrom. While he didn't have his start at the beginning, he figured it out. Like you said, the eight strikeouts in a row. A lot of people on Twitter I saw were bringing up that he's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's a uh, spin rate, like fake guy. He's a faker. His spin rates were fine today. I'm like, do you guys know that baseball savant is openly available to you? You can look at spin rates in real time. His spin rates were completely normal. He lost 30 RPMs on average on his fastball. Yeah, he lost 30 RPM and his slider was up today. So like he was a... A spin rate, I don't know. They give him some like... down six RPMs on average. Six. Oh, okay. Down six, yeah. Real spin rate. Sticky stuff guy. Down one inch of horizontal break. Sticky stuff merchant. That's what it is. Sticky stuff merchant. Wow. I would love for Jacob DeGrom to get some sticky stuff. I I really would. Especially now that they're only checking hat, brim, belt. If you want to hide that shit like in your ass crack, you can get away with murder at these points. Because the umpires are going through the regiment now. It's so easy to get by him. Just getting some two fingers deep in there. Like, (laughs) what's he grabbing out of there? There's a couple more crazy things that DeGrom did today that I really want to reference. Codify on Twitter. They're like the... um. The main competitor to driveline. We said before DeGrom had 14 strikeouts. Codify reported that this was the fewest pitches in the history of baseball since pitch counts and strikeouts have been recorded to reach 14's case. And I think he had 80 at the time, which when you yeah. think about it, like just on those strikeouts alone, Math. I mean, three. that's that's about half the pitches are on the strikeouts. <laughs> like, that's insane. And you felt it during that stretch where he got eight in a row. Those were consistently three, four, maybe five pitch at bats. He was never behind the count. He was just dicing fastball, 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 fastball. Gelbzy gave a little update mid-game that DeGrom was a little bit more slider than fastball early. He mixed in a couple change-ups too. And then once the third inning hit, it was fastballs. I think it was like 70% fastballs from the third inning on. Do you think that that was something where like DeGrom's faced the Braves a few times now this year and he was trying to give a different look? Or like, do you think that was a conscious thing? Like, I'm going to go in here throwing sliders? Because it seemed like as soon as they hit it, he did flip the switch right back to like what is typical DeGrom fashion. It felt like there was a period of this game where DeGrom wasn't really throwing as hard as we've seen. Of course, that happened later in the game, though. So you just you never know when he's preparing if something just feels a little bit worse or a little bit off, and he knows that that slider he can he knows he could put that slider anywhere he wants anyway. So he's almost throwing it like a fastball because it can go in any count in most parts of the strike zone, even though he only throws it in that low and outside spot or just that um I don't know that first base side of the plate. I, don't know, I do think he has been pining to change it up though the last few times out. I think there's some credence to what you're saying there. What was really interesting too is at one point, I think it was like maybe the fifth inning where he struck out like Adrianza and Almonte or whatever, Heredia Almonte. And he was throwing like 99, 100, 101. And then to one of the guys, he was throwing like 94, 95, 96. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And people yeah. on... 
people on Twitter got really scared. But apparently that those fastballs had the most vertical movement by like far on any of his fastballs that night, which is interesting. Is he maybe toying around with like a sinker there or like a two seam or just I don't know. How do you like what do you think that is from? Because he was completely fine after that. He was throwing a hundred again. That has to be a bump gun. It has to be. I, especially like you're talking about like sinkers and two seamers, but if it's rising more and spinning more, it's the opposite of those pitches. That won't. Well, be I think I think the vertical movement was like downward. I'm saying. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, then he probably is toying with a sinker or a two seamer. Then Degrom used to throw a sinker once upon a time or a two seamer, whichever yeah. way you like to classify that. He got rid of that when this entire like meteoric stretch happened over the last three seasons. But the guy retired 18 batters in a row tonight. You never ever see that. He had 27 whiffs this game. 27 whiffs. That is the fourth most in any game all season. And the second most for DeGrom this year, which is even funny in and of itself. That's a ridiculously high number. If anyone here likes these like advanced pitching stats we talk about or just enjoys the whiff as much as I do, if you go on the Baseball Savant game feed on a nightly basis, they have like the leaders of the night based on exit velocity, distance, um, pitch velocity, and then swings and misses. You never see a swing and miss total above like 13, 14. When you see 16, 17, you're like, wow, that's elite. 27? My jaw dropped. I didn't even notice while watching it. I was shocked. No, he's, he was so good again, which is so weird because it, it felt like this was going to be the one game where you're like, okay. He's back to normal. He's a human. He's hittable, like you said. And then it seemingly he wasn't. And then he went right back to being Jacob deGrom. So he wasn't the reason why we lost this game. Mm-hmm. The reason why we lost this game, again, which has been the theme of pretty much the last two weeks here, has been the offense. The offense is ice cold. Jeff McNeil is lost. I don't even know what to say about McNeil. I can't believe they're still hitting him leadoff. It's almost, like, cruel. We need Nimmo back badly because we got to get McNeil down the lineup. We got to. And like Lindor is, he's doing his Lindor thing where he's still walking. He's not really striking out a lot. He's hitting sometimes. He's not. He like hits in bunches, it feels like a little bit right now, where he'll get like that really hot game and then go 0 for 4. And then a hot game and then go 0 for 4. So he's all over the place too. At least he's still putting the ball in play with velocity. Yeah. It's not like in April and early May when he was just like popping up some fly balls and it was going back to the dugout. It was like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. He's hitting the ball with authority. It's happening. Like, and his OPS is just, like, steadily climbing, steadily climbing, steadily climbing. Got over 660 today. Like, it's happening for him. It's just, it's not going to be an MVP Francisco Lindor year, as I'm sure everyone is painfully aware of. But I, I think he should be the leadoff hitter right now. Yeah, if, if you're going to do anybody without Nimmo in the lineup, it's probably him. Pete struggling this series. I think he hit one homer, and I think that might have been his only hit. Uh, Dom had the good game today, of course. Mm-hmm. His two home runs. Great game. But it's saved just, us. But saved us. Kept us in it. I still don't think Dom's back by any means because his at-bats, I don't feel like we're necessarily even good at-bats. Like, he was still showing a couple pitches where I'm like, Dom, dude, come on, man. And I know not every at-bat's going to be perfect, but this is a guy who had, like, such command of the strike zone and, like, such good ability to, like, recognize the pitches that were to be able to hit. He he got two of them today, though, so I'm not going to complain. It's not his fault by any means. He tried. Yeah, he did, and the two he got were pretty fat pitches which is good because he was struggling with the fat pitches this yes year. that's a big thing it's something you've been you've been ripping that on twitter a lot the mets are struggling with the I've fat been pitches so much i mean like there was a couple times where even gary tonight mentioned he goes that's another pitch that was able to be hit that the mets fouled off or swung through like we miss the hanging pitch more than any team i've ever seen in my life i mean it's crazy how many hanging curveballs sliders cutters especially the curveballs because teams now know that the mets cannot touch a curveball for their life we have no idea what to do with we got it. some cur- i got some curveball stats coming for later in the show and we start when we talk about charlie morton but yeah i think that just to give a little teaser to him to talk about i think it appears worse with our eyes than the statistics will bear out 
And it's always okay. going to feel like that when a team is struggling. Like, we talked about this on, like, the last episode, two episodes ago, three episodes ago, that there isn't that much glaring that the Mets are bad at besides actually scoring runs, which is yeah. so peculiar and so bizarre, especially given the talent up and down this lineup. And it makes it so frustrating just to watch these games. You could feel Gary and Ronnie really groaning in the booth this series. Like, worse than basically they have all year. And I feel like those two are, like, a little bit more tense. They're a little bit, little bit less joyful than Keith as is. Like, Keith will keep things loose because he'll talk about nonsense or, like, Haji or Lord knows what. These two were like, oh, come on. Yeah, well, just like us, they know the talent that's on this field. And while, like, Gary and Ron, they're, like, very... They're Mets fans, obviously. Like, I think that's very obvious. They want this team to do well. But they tend to stay pretty, like, neutral most of the time. They don't tend to show their hand. They're showing it a lot recently with, like, just getting frustrated. And I don't know if it's at how the game's being played. I think that's a little bit of part of it. I think it's just the fact that there's just nothing happening whatsoever on the offensive side. And especially for a guy like Ron, who comes as a pitcher, he's like, you got to help out your guys. I mean, they're going out here and shoving every single game, except game two of the series. You got to hit for them at some point. It can't just be the pitching that carries this team. But yeah, and then Dom hit the big home run in the ninth inning because the Braves bullpen sucks because that's just how they do it. And then the ninth inning, like Lugo did a good job. He didn't really give up many hard hit balls besides the Freddie Freeman one, but it all got started weird when that like little dribbler from Heredia Mm -hmm. went right to him and he tried to make like this insane play, which really he should just ate it. He had no shot. Heredia is a speedy guy. Tried to make this insane play, threw it into the dugout or threw it into the camera well. Man on second to start the inning after he was seemingly in the in the driver's seat here like he he still pitched a good inning but that got to start on the wrong foot definitely you hate that we're in a situation now where our pitchers are pressing to this degree when Guillermo Heredia has a swinging bunt with Pablo Sandoval and Kevin Smith on deck and in the hole and he tries to like dive and make like a Patrick Mahomes throw up the line to first base like you could just tell that all those guys are a little bit tight right now plays like that really exemplify because Lugo is usually cool as a cucumber as is like, he's Mr. Chill, always. Like, he's not demonstrative. He's not barking. He's not like Trevor May was in the eighth inning. He's never. I was just about to say, yeah, even Trevor May like that. was going nuts in the eighth. And I think it's because, like, these guys are really feeling that pressure of, like, I've got to do it now because no one else is picking me up. No, and you hate that. But so right off the bat, there's a man on second, nobody out. He gets a weak ground ball, Pablo Sandoval, ready and moved up, just Good play, moved on the bag, and Lugo was like kind of moving towards first base as it was. But worked that worked back to get Kevin Smith after I believe he had a couple balls on him, or Lugo may have been behind in the count. Intentionally walk Acuna, which is the right call, and then the rat fuck Ender and Ciarte. You got to go after Ender, of course. Acuna, you don't they pitch did to him. go this. after him. They had two strikes on him and no balls. Oh, two count. No, I know. I'm I'm saying like the. The process was right there in the yeah. Mets' mind of like, okay, no Acuna of course. in Ciarte. And of course, because he's a rat fuck, he works out this fantastic at-bat to which he, he works out a walk. Ender in Ciarte, who refuses to walk pretty much for the most of his career. Guy just knows how to like stick the knife in me as deep as possible and just twist it at the worst possible moments. Consistently, seemingly every single series you play against this team, he does something that helps them win a game. And he helped them win a game today because he extended it. He got Freddie Freeman to the plate. Fucking lined the ball off Lugo's calf. Guillaume makes incredible barehanded play. A lot of people on Twitter think he should have gone to third. Like, maybe in, like, MLB The Show, that's possible. But I don't think that Luis Guillaume has eyes in the back of his head and can stop his entire body's motion and then beat. It was Kevin Smith who was pretty. uh... No, it was Acuna. Okunia was on right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's not beating Acuna. He could have beat Acuna. It would have been really close. It probably would have been as close to the play at first. And then everyone would have been saying, throw it to first. 
Exactly. I think that, like, one, to blame URMA there, in any scenario, you're insane. That's not on him. Insane play. He would have had to have made, you know, the sickest play possibly that we've seen in a long time as a New York Mets fan. The ball bounced off of Lugo's thing. He had to change directions, one. He was charging it hard because he had to get that ball because, of course, you can't just let it lie around. And then he's going for the off-balance throw already. Someone had to have been screaming at him the moment that ball was hit because everything's happening so quick, so fast. And he also knows Acuna's on second. He didn't know how far away Acuna was. Like you said, there's no eyes in the back of his head. And let's be honest, for him to get it, stop, plant, turn, run to first, Acuna is going to sprint there. He's gonna Acuna's going to beat him. I'm pretty confident in that. Like, in real time, it looked like you were like, oh, go to third, oh no. But then you realize wait a second, like, this is a camera angle. It's actually a little bit closer than you think. Yeah, just like your rear view, rear view camera. And also just like the screen grabs on Twitter make it look really bad. Yes, because you can, you can pick and choose what it looks yeah, like. It makes it look like that ridiculous Mitchell Trubisky play with uh, the guy wide open in the middle of the end zone and, and no, other, yeah. no defenders on the field. The training camp play. But this is the kind of small shit you talk about when your offense can't score a run. Correct. Everyone wants to find something wrong, but you don't want to call out like an entire team. But really right now, it's like just the offense in general, just not doing it, not doing the job at all. And with the offense not doing the job at all, I think we should take this back to game one of the Braves. I think we'll do nationals at the end, right? I mean, like, honestly, let's just say it real quick. Uh, we lost that game. It happened. Jared Eikhoff, not very good. Is there anything really to say about that? I mean, just why the fuck did they pitch to Kyle Schwarber twice? That was ridiculous. That's about it, yeah. There was a, situa- there was a point in that game where the Mets were down one run and Kyle Schwarber had two solo home runs. And I was just sitting there like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, there was... No reason to pitch to him at all. You have to give him the Barry Bonds treatment. As we said last <laughs> episode, Barry give him the Barry Bonds Don't treatment. Don't do it. Made Paolo Espino look like a fucking superstar. Guy was breaking off curveballs like we couldn't even believe. Rado Parra hit a home run. How, what, in what galaxy could Rado Parra hit a home run off your pitching staff? Yeah, everything that could have went wrong that game kind of did. And it's just, again, the offense, non-existent. You, you got to hit Paolo Espino. The one thing that I want to talk about in this game that's pretty similar to this Guillaume play we are talking about is the Blankenhorn misplay. Yes. It's like literally... The exact same type of situation where the team can't hit, they've actually shown like a modicum of life, and then you blame like a pretty, like just, this was worse than Guillaume's play, of course. Travis Blankenhorn made a misplay, but this is a quadruple A player who is coming into a game cold, and he was forced to make a bang-bang play, he just read it wrong, and then he compounded his error with a throwing error, and then Castro just couldn't pick him up, that shit happens. Yeah, and again, like the real story is like one, pitching Kyle Schwarber and two, need more offense. The offense can't keep showing up in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, which is seemingly the only time the bats seem to wake up is when the bullpen comes into the game. Which, that's a troubling sign in of itself because the Mets can't hit the better pitchers who are the starters. And then once the relievers come in, we find a way. It's like when we know guys have two pitches, it's okay because we got a 50-50 guess. Good foreshadowing. Good foreshadowing. Yes, so let's go to game one here with the Braves because I know you got a lot to say about this one here. Let's go up against the Braves game one. And I mean, like, yes, we did good. We got the win. I don't think this was good at all. This game was fucking awful to be a part of until the very end. Not the very end. Well, yeah, I mean, like, that's why I'm saying, like, it was was good because we won. But, like, I don't know how much actual good to find in this game besides... I guess like McGill is pretty yeah. pretty nice. But we've been living in this fantasy world for a few weeks now, where we're like, team didn't play well, but we find a way to win. That's not gonna fucking work. Like, who? Whether we, this is in 1973. Like, I don't want to just find a way to win. I'd like to win a game handedly. And the fact, actually, we just saw Morton last week. You knew what he was doing. He's throwing curveballs and fastballs, a couple cutters here and there. 
Like, I understand that we guess every single pitch, but damn, like, guess right. <laughs> Fuck. I don't know what's going on with, like, the prep department here, and I don't know if this falls on Quattle Bomb. I don't know who this falls on now because this was apparently Chili's problem, and Chili's gone, and this offense still seemingly has no clue what's happening at the plate. I, are the Mets being told to guess? Like, what, what is what is actually being told to these guys? Because they've all been very, very good hitters at times. I mean, we have guys on this team that have been elite offensively, elite, and they are looking, I mean, like a shell of themselves. It's not that we have guys in this team have been elite offensively. The first five batters in this order have all proven to be all-star caliber players, easily all-star caliber players, some of them being MVP caliber, depending on when you've looked at their stats or certain hot streaks they've had. And they all just seem a little bit lost. Gelbsy actually mentioned this very specifically. I want to say it was the fifth or sixth inning of this game. The Mets had had... McNeil got hit by that pitch first batter of the game. Conforto got a base hit in the fourth. And that was it until the rally in the seventh. That was it. Completely it. But Gelbsy mentioned the fact that when he talked... I don't remember who he said he talked to. I can't recall it right now. And I couldn't find the video when I was prepping for this. But basically the Mets hitting philosophy is guess and sell out every single pitch they see. I hate that so much. It's awful. You are sending these guys up to the plate doing tons of thinking. You're just computing in your mind every single pitch. Like, okay, he just threw a fastball. He's thrown 13 fastballs this game. In this count, he throws this many percentage of fastballs, this many percentage of sliders. When he does throw sliders in this type of count, usually it's this spot in the zone. You're giving the pitcher all the power to just simply buck their own trends or just make a pitch and beat you. Because Ronnie mentioned this like very specifically, that even if you're looking curveball low, and you see that curveball low, if the pitcher executes, you can't hit it because it's a curveball that ducks out of the strike zone and you're you're shit out of luck. It's why the old like adage of whatever, like sit fastball, adjust breaking ball. Like there's a reason that's been said. I know old baseball is a little like we're starting to get a little further and further away from it, but that's one that's stuck around throughout time. You got to sit fastball, adjust breaking because I mean, the Mets are just like you said, they're guessing. And when they're wrong, which happens to be a lot. It has to be a lot. How often can you really guess and be right, especially when you're facing starters, like we're mentioning, who are throwing three or four, sometimes even five pitches? It's very hard to guess right, super hard, especially when there's a pitcher on the mound who's actually cerebral and sees what's happening, and all they have to do is just mix up their cadences, and you're completely dead. This feels very like Miguel Sano, Gary Sanchez, like joey gallo like three true outcome guys where it's like i'm gonna swing fastball down the middle every time it's eventually gonna be one and i will hit 35 home runs but i'm also gonna hit 210 and i'm not gonna do much much of the other stuff the mets aren't this baseball team and especially a guy like friggin jeff mcneil cannot be playing baseball like this he's not that kind of player and we don't know if every hitter is specifically doing this but seems like the organizational philosophy has shifted to this method of hitting and it just makes tons of sense that they there would have been a massive overhaul of the way we hit, just considering the fact that we've changed the way we pitch, we've changed the way we play defense. We're not not going to change the way we hit. Like if you're bringing all these new minds together, you especially like Steve Cohen, Sandy Alderson, these are sharp guys who put sharp people in charge. You're going to change things. I just don't think that this change is good. I um hearing that makes me mad. Hearing that makes me go like. Who who came up with this idea, and what is their proof that it works? Because I can tell you right now, the Dodgers, the Astros, the White Sox, some of the best offensive teams in baseball are just not doing this. There's no way that they're you doing this. you know how this would really work well? If we had a camera in center field. Yes, this would be then I'm in. an amazing strategy if we were cheating. 
Yes, if our, if our guessing was actually knowing, yeah. that's different. But our guessing is not get. We clearly don't have cameras anywhere the way this team's no, no, playing no. offensively. The Mets are the most honest team in baseball. There's no doubt. DeGrom spin rates haven't dropped. The Mets can't hit the sh- hit for shit. We are playing this game straight and narrow right now. I don't like it. Let's start cheating. We gotta start cheating or something. Another thing that I'm just gonna make a hard transition into because I want to talk about it is how this narrative has been built about the Mets not being able to hit a curveball. It doesn't seem like the Mets can hit a curveball. It really doesn't. Like when you watch, but I think it just feels that way because we're watching a team night in, night out, and we've faced Charlie Morton twice in a week. We got diced up by Aaron Nola. These guys are some of the best curveballs in all of baseball. And like when you suck at hitting in general, all of your per-pitch statistics are going to look terrible. They are. That's just going to happen. Like, the Mets score the fewest runs in baseball. There's no way that we're going to, like, be like, oh, my God. Wow, look how great they're hitting everything except curveballs. The curveball's the only thing holding them back. No, we have the least runs in baseball. It's everything. And even if you look at just, like, comparing two two off-speed pitches, a curveball and a changeup, we have the fifth lowest ex-woba against changeups in the league and the 11th lowest against curveballs. We are whiffing more on curveballs than changeups, but I don't think that's really meaningful because league average are whiffing more against curveballs than changeups. It's very hard to decipher what here is real and what here is not. Yeah, I mean, like, I th- I think the whole whiff thing, like you said, with the curveball and changeup makes a lot of sense because changeup's not a whiff pitch as well. Like, curveball is meant to get you swing and miss. Changeup's more of like that, just get you off balance out in front of kind of thing. So that makes sense for the whole whiff rate. I, I think you're right, too, with, like, Nola and these guys that we've been seeing making us think that we can't hit curveballs because we've seemingly come up against curveball pitchers that we haven't hit. I don't know. It's like, like you said, the numbers aren't going to lie. They're telling the truth. But they're, it comes back to this guessing, man. It really is. It's just, it comes back to this guessing. It's just not working. Just, but the counterpoint to that is, I'm going to argue against myself for a second because I find this interesting, is that we saw Zach Wheeler drastically change his pitch mix in the first four innings of the game last Sunday. And curveball, 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 curveball. He was throwing lots of curveballs, and he's really a fastball slider guy. So the fact that that is how it seems, and teams are game planning for that, does make me think it's legitimate. But then I looked into it a little bit more, and I think more of the fact of why we're seeing more curveballs and why it seems worse is because the Mets are actually great against sliders. Mm. Very interesting. Mets have the fifth lowest strikeout percentage in the league against sliders, and the fifth highest ex-Wobo against them. And they're seeing the lowest percentage of sliders in all of baseball. That's interesting because, as we know, in baseball, slider is the pitch right slider now. Slider is the, the pitch. That's a big pitch. Slider is, has, is the greatest bridge between velocity, command, and movement. For some reason, the Mets have that. So maybe this Mets preparation thing is just focusing up on sliders. Or maybe it's the fact that just more relievers throw sliders. And when we get into these situations with relievers, we can get slider, slider, fastball, slider, fastball, slider, fastball, 50-50 shot. Those odds I'll play. Yeah, I mean, we do hit well late in the game. I, there's This is something we're going to have to keep a close eye on here mm-hmm. these next couple weeks here going into the All-Star break. Oh, man, it's just it's so frustrating. But listen, there's a, couple, there's, there's a couple things that we could talk about, though, from this game one, though, that aren't absolute you know, doom and gloom. Uh, from the offensive side, James McCann, huge home yeah. run. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. He, had, he actually had a pretty good series, and he got on base three times tonight, too, in game three, so... The bat there's starting to warm up, and I think he's actually playing exactly how he has for his career. If you look at his yeah, slash line, two fifty, like, six uh, seven hundred OPS, perfect. Yeah, so we basically got the player we p- paid for. He's actually not underperforming anymore. It's just we probably paid him a little bit too much, like you've said before. Yeah, which we can all be right about that. And now he's just like a pretty okay catcher. We'll see what happens year three and four. We'll get Francisco Alvarez up here. We'll talk about that though in the prospect report. I think Kevin Pilar's at bat was. Um, 
very, very important in that seventh inning against Morton. He worked the count to fall. He fouled off a couple tough pitches. I think the umpire bailed him out, I believe, on either a check swing or a ball that was high and in. Up umpiring was awful this series. Awful. Terrible. Some of the worst we've seen this year. And we've had some bad umpiring. Feels like we always get this Ramon De Jesus guy or whatever his name is. I don't know what it, I don't know his actual name, but like he's this crew that we had in Atlanta feels like we've gotten them a couple times and they're horrendous. They're terrible. Awful. But then, like you said, McCann at the home run. And then even after that, we could have taken the high of our tie and walked out of there happy men like we did tonight. But no. Peraza, clutch again. Big time ground rule double. And Lindor clutched up and got a nice single. Thank, thank God we won this game. It could be real dark times right now if we lost that one. If we had a three-game sweep of the Braves, this is, a, this is a different podcast because we're limping into the All-Star break. I mean, we are crawling we get swept this one, we are just laying dead under the dirt. Yeah. And a tough series with the Brewers coming up after the Yankees, but we'll get to that in a second. Can I talk about McGill? Yes, please talk about McGill because I like McGill. He's looking like a nice little pitcher for us. McGill is looking really well. He is so poised on the mound. Well, I, th- I think McCann said like something along the lines of like McGill's like shit don't stink. I kind of fuck with that for my pitcher. <laughs> that's your boy. And that's my guy, dude. He shrunk the repertoire of this outing to something I thought it was going to look like during his debut when he was mixing all these crazy pitches, but it was 55% fastball, 28% slider, 16% changeup. Biggest thing was he got tons of whiffs. Again, 14 total on 48 swings is 29%, well above, above league average. And they mostly came on his off-speed stuff. The things that we were told would kind of be the things that held him back. He had five whiffs on 12 swings from the slider and five whiffs on eight swings from the changeup. The changeup, I did not expect this from the changeup at all. The pitch looks actually, like, polished. Yeah, no, he looked, like, really sharp. I mean, you've been hyping him up, like, since you ever really caught wind of this guy. And... I hadn't watched a lot of him in the minors If besides the stuff that's been on Twitter. I'm very impressed with the kind of pitcher that he's become. Like, he's a guy where when guys start to come back healthy, and this might lead into game two at some point here, but he's getting the call over David Peterson every day of the week. There's no doubt. I have such a different feeling with Tyler McGill on the line than David Peterson. Like, it's not even funny. And that's not to say that Tyler McGill is perfect and Tyler McGill is an all-star. He's going to contend for rookie of the year yeah. at this point. Because no. there were a couple signs from this game that could potentially become troubling. You saw once that lineup went around their time, the Braves were on him. Completely on. Yes. That's just going to happen when a guy throws 55% fastballs. And that I found out after the game, it doesn't really have the requisite ride that I thought it was going to have or that it appears to have when we watch these games on television. It's actually below league average in vertical movement, which is a little bit upsetting. And the fastball itself also only had four whiffs on 28 swings. So the Braves were taking some hacks up there. Yeah. It did max out 97, sat 95. Like, you'll get away with some shit like that. But... He was just pounding the strike zone, pounding, pounding, pounding. Eventually, throwing more than 50% fastballs without requisite ride and without like a real dominant breaking pitch, this is going to catch up. Guys are going to get to him, especially third time through the order. But let's take what we have right here. He's a useful piece. He's going to continue to be useful. Does everyone understand that? Keep that. Uh, keep keep your wits about you when watching Tyler McGill. Yeah, like uh, I know you, we talked about last episode. Like he made the same appear the day the same day as Jacob Degrom, like of the same age, same appearance. Like, all right, people. Like I love cool facts, but let's just take it for a fact. Like this is something that happened. Let's not actually compare him to like he's going to be the next Jacob Degrom. No, 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 That'd no, be no, insane. No. And then luckily for us too, the bullpen was great again. May is back, and we saw it even so in Game Three bad. while he oh my god while he struggled a little bit in Game Three too. He still like he bared down and. And that was the May that we had saw at the beginning of the year. So whatever that weird break was that he got where he basically didn't pitch for a week, seems like it was needed. Mm-hmm. It helped because May's back. So back. He's so incredibly back. He was actually the only Mets reliever in this game to get a whiff. 
which I found to be very weird. Lugo and Diaz, neither of them had one. Diaz almost blew the game, my God. That long foul ball got out of it. But the bottom line coming out of this series and the stupid one game of the Nationals, I don't even fucking care about this point. The last three Mets win were like whole-ass miracles. Yeah, no, it took literally every single thing to go right and every single thing to go wrong for the other team for the Mets to scrape a win by. Scrape it. And that's three wins in this was... Eight divisional games. It's bad. That's terrible. I mean, we we brought everyone right back into the the thick of things with this record now because the Nationals are, what, two, two and a half back now? The Braves, I think, are sitting at, like, four. It was two going into today, and their game was still— They lost. Oh, they did lose? It's an official loss, yeah. Thank God. Good good job. Good good on the Dodgers. But baseball perspectives dropped their midway through the season playoff um, projections yesterday or today, Thursday or Wednesday, and I was really— disgruntled seeing them having the Mets at still like a 75% chance to win the division with 88 projected wins, six ahead of the next closest team in the division. I was like... Feels aggressive. I, I don't see how that's possible. <laughs> like, I think I think we know that this team can be that, but what they're showing us right now is not even close. Like, it's crazy, and this is just typical Mets fashion, the roller coaster that we've been on already this season with everything. We got so lucky with the replaced Mets and how well the bench mob played. And then they came back to life, or came back to, you know, normal. They, they stopped playing, like, the bench mob a little bit, because that's going to happen. These aren't starters every day. But we were still able to get wins, and we were still playing good baseball, being the Padres, being the Cubs, and then we got to these division games, and we just crumbled. I mean, game two, I feel like it's kind of the, like, overall what's been waiting to happen. Because David Peterson came out for game two and stunk. Awful. And then Sean Reed Foley came out, and he stunk. Awful. And we lost 20-2. to two. Thomas Apucky came out. Awful. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, like, listen, Thomas Apucky, we've been we've been waiting for you. We yeah. saw you. I've had enough. <laughs> that's fucked up. I, that's messed up, but I just don't messed know what he— Messed up from the messed up. I don't, I don't really know what he can do for this team at the major league level with the way that he pitches right now. Dude, th- we gave up 20 runs on Wednesday night. And by far, the worst part of the game was that we couldn't hit. Yeah, of course. It was like it, the 20 runs, it, that's going to happen at some point. Every team gives up runs at some point during the year. Like a blowout loss is going to happen. But the fact that we had nothing going offensively is the worst part. We had one hit from the first to the seventh inning. It was a Luis Guillorme seeing I single, and he was erased on a double play. Yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> fucking kidding oh, me? What a, what a miserable game. It's just... The Mets do this every year with the Braves. There's one game where the Braves just curb stomp the shit out of us. Well, we just did this to the Braves a month ago. So I yeah. guess this was like the payback. And this, that, it's funny that like a month ago we were like, we're turning the corner. It seems about to get hot. 15 game lead in the division. Offense is finally where it has to be. And it's been nothing but shit since then. No, it's been bad. And as we're getting our guys back too, which like, weirdly, that's what we were struggling with early when we had these guys, like our there everyday dudes. some... Um, Interesting decisions to be made over the next two weeks with roster spots on this team. For sure. Uh, some guys that I think people are going to be surprised to see moving around are going to be moving around. Yeah, I don't really even want to say who I think it's going to be because logically I think it's going to be our boy because he is the only the only guy in this active roster who'd be, who you'd want to keep with options. Is that Guillerme? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When Luis Guillerme goes to the minor leagues next week, I'm going to throw a hissy fit. To be fair, Peraza has options. Are you sure about that? I'm 100% sure. Peraza has an option right. for this year, so we can send him down. Let's do some quick math right now. If within the next seven days, if all goes according to plan, they're going to activate Nido for Mazika, Nimo for... It's got to be Almora. You can't keep him around. You have to keep Billy on the team over Almora. 
I guess, but if you take Almora off the team, even though I'm not vouching for Albert Almora, the guy can't hit anything at all. I don't even think he can hit the ball off the tee. <laughs> there, there's no, there's, we don't really have a defensive center fielder anymore. Like Kevin Pillar is fine, he's good. But you know what the Mets have to do at this point? You gotta say you gotta fuck, hit. Yeah, fuck off, yeah, fuck, fuck the hit. defense of the outfield. We don't give up runs. Doesn't right. matter. But then VR and oh my god, I forgot about VR. Yeah. Well, VR. I guess Blankenhorn's technically there still, right? So Blankenhorn will get the axe. If I actually is he even then, still on the roster? And then, J, and then JD Davis. But. The Mets are also going to be making some moves. I'm mm-hmm. very confident that we're going to be grabbing some pieces. I don't know, man. It's going to be tough. We're going to be playing like a little bit of a, like a jigsaw puzzle here, just trying to fit the right pieces in the right spots with this roster. One piece that we're now very aware is not going to be added to this puzzle anytime soon, possibly ever again, is your guy, Dylan Batances. Yeah, Batances, shoulder surgery, done for the year. Mm-hmm. Never expect to see him in a New York Mets uniform again, which I said when he went down with that injury at the start. I said he will never pitch again for this team. That's the last time we saw it. I thought they were going to do the rehab, cut him, and then let him sign with someone else. But I guess his shoulder is really, really fucked up. And he's, I mean, he's probably on the brink of maybe never pitching again, which is super sad to see. He was on the brink of never pitching again like a, a full calendar year ago. Yeah, This guy is... Like, never going to pitch again, unless he pulls the Neftali police, just get used again for a week and then cut because you're so goddamn bad. This Batanzas thing was such a joke from the start. This was so clearly never, ever going to work. One of the first times we ever hung out, I told you this, I was like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. There's no way that this works out ever. And it's true, it didn't. This whole signing made me realize that all stupid sports organizations, they need a very reliable snitch. Because <laughs> if... If there was anybody who was even half competent while also having the trust of the Wilpons while this was happening, this never would have happened. Like if someone from the analytics team could have just grabbed an intern and been like, hey, you have to you have to be a suck kiss ass. Listen to us, but you have to just lie to the Wilpons through your teeth. Get them to like you and then be able to squash dumb shit like this before it gets because they won't listen to us. We won't be able to do it. If the Mets had a good snitch all these years, we would still have Jared Kelnick. We would never have signed Dylan Batances. Like, all the moves we could have made. We could have just had a good, like, analytically driven rat in the ear of the Wilpons. Everything could have been saved. Are you telling me that when we had an agent as our GM, we didn't make the best moves possible? He didn't think analytically, didn't use his brain? He was like, hey, former client, let's try to get you on this team. For some reason, the professional liar was awful. At his job. Terrible. Awful. Batances, that is just... I mean, it's sad, but also... It's going to go in the lore of awful Mets moves. At least we're yes. happy that we can add another name, stamped it in the ring of honor right there. He's our Jed Lowry of pitchers. Yeah. <laughs> it's Jed Lowry of this year, and next year will be a new one. Jed Lowry, Antonio Bastardo. Oh, my um, God, Antonio Bastardo. <laughs> that dude, I hated him. Holy who crap. Who are some other ones? Who are some other John ridiculous? Mayberry, Chris John Young, Mayberry. Uh, Frank it? Francisco, oh, John Roush. John I mean, Roush. just like those like mid the late two thousands to the guys. yeah that the Mets were like ten million to you, ten million to you. You could add Jose Reyes a second stint to that list. Two thousand twelve, Jose Reyes. Oh my God, the list goes on and on for ridiculous Mets signings, and Dylan Batanza just becomes another one of them. Another one yes. of them just to fade into the night. Which leads us perfectly into his former team, the New York Yankees, who were playing this weekend, and uh, 
Luckily for us, they're also playing about as bad baseball as you could because they had a disaster game the other night against the Angels. Very Met-like uh, reminds us oh, of what happened, in Wash- what happened in Washington a few years ago, which is still plays my brain every once in a while at night. Seven, run innings, or seven runs and they blow it. <laughs> this was actually the first game in Major League history I saw on Twitter today where a team gave up seven runs in the first inning and then allowed seven runs in the ninth. <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of like scoring symmetry. You don't see you don't see it often. You've actually never seen it before. That was nightmare fuel. If that would have happened to the Mets, I would have. I don't. I don't know. I would have laid down in the middle of the street. I would have like, packed my bag. I would have left Queens. I would have never come back. Especially given the circumstances of that game, the fact that this has been the hottest like thirty six hours. In, I feel like in the history of New York, especially since I've lived here, they had a three hour rain delay, and this was after they knocked Shohei Otani out of the game in the side of the first inning. And Aaron, Aaron Judge didn't even start. No, it was crazy, and then they blow that one. But, yeah, again, luckily for us, they're playing some god-awful baseball. But we're going to the Bronx, where we know runs will be scored, mm-hmm. and the Mets can't score runs. And mm-hmm. while the Yankees pitching has not been good, on both sides, the bullpen and the starters have been very, very rough, we got to score, because the Yankees will score. The Yankees still do have the ability to hit home runs, put runs on base. Like I think even tonight Gary and Ron were talking about it. Like they're like top 5 in I think slugging percentage in the league, top 10 in on base percentage. They are just going through a weird cold stretch where they're not scoring, but their offense is legitimately very good. Can I give you a wild Yankee stat I had for this? Hit me. The Yankees have a higher OPS on the road this season than they do at home. That makes no sense. That makes stupid. no sense. Holy stupid. Like, playing in that Little League park, how do you have a higher OPS anywhere than Yankee Stadium? Unless you're playing Coors, which that's not happening. But they also just picked up a pest in New York uh, Mets side as well in Tim LaCastro. I hate that this happened today. So we know he's going to do something this series that's going to drive us crazy. Whether no doubt Tim LaCastro is going to win a game by himself this series. Getting hit by a pitch and then stealing every base, wild pitch, score home, whatever it's going to be. Tim LaCastro is going to be a pain in the ass. Big, big thing here is, fuck the Yankees, we got to beat them. This The Mets need this series more than they've needed any series this year. And it, <laughs> it doesn't really actually matter more than any series that we've played. These Braves and Nationals and Phillies series were far more important. Astronomically this, more so. But for the psyche of Mets fans, we need to take two of three for the Yankees. I mean, we are not, bor- not Mets fans for me and for you. <laughs> I mean, it, the fan base in general, though, is borderline like just ready to jump off a cliff and call it a season and say, we're done. That's it. Same old Mets. I don't want to go back to there. But if the Mets get stomped by the New York Yankees, oh, we're going back. I'm going back to the Wilpon era. Like, I'm, I'm down in the dumps. I'm gloomy. I can't. I can't continue to be positive like that when we just get destroyed by the Yankees. I hate them so much. Luckily for the Mets, in terms of getting destroyed by the Yankees, which I can't believe you put that sentence even into the universe, we have three pitchers who I trust heading into this uh, series. Taiwan, Friday night. Marcus Stroman, Saturday afternoon with off against Garrett Cole. And those guys are the same pitcher now that Garrett Cole doesn't have sticky stuff, which should be fun. Yeah, Garrett Cole, he's a merchant for sticky stuff. And Sunday night baseball, the crown jewel of them all. Tyler McGill versus Michael King. Dude, that's, that's that's the one that they get for Sunday night. Good. Fuck ESPN. I'm glad I, they got a shit matchup. Uh, but they're doing the StackCast broadcast. So I, I'm i kind of excited to see the kind of nonsense that Mike Petriello pulls out of his ass. Talk about Michael King. <laughs> so be like, little do you know about Michael King? <laughs> and drop something on you. Because I don't really know much about him besides that. Uh, yeah, he's like a five starter. There you go. Mike Petriello admitted on Twitter sometime earlier this week that he started prepping for the game and he saw Tyler McGill was the proud pitcher for the Mets. He went on Twitter, who is this? <laughs> Who's Tyler McGill? <laughs> oh, the 26-year-old starting the year in double A. Can't wait. Let's talk about him on national television. 
yeah, interesting series. Hopefully we win. Need it, need it, need it so badly. Hopefully we win. Especially because I dish out so much crap. Although this year I've been very quiet with my Yankees crap. I've been very calm because I've been focused on the Mets. It's a new era. We don't need to worry about the Yankees anymore because the Mets are just going to win games. But we're starting to lose games now, so I'm like climbing back into my little troll hole here to start troll taking shots hole. at Yankee fans again. I need it this weekend. I need some interactions. Troll hole, you better pay the troll toll. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta pay the troll toll to get in. I need it. Let's let's talk about some prospects because I'm getting I'm getting like weird feelings about this Yankees thing here. Let's talk about prospects. First one being Mark Vientos, who we've yeah. talked about, I feel like, every prospect thing here because he's one of our top guys. Holy crap, he's hot. Hottest man alive, Mark Vientos. He can do no wrong over the last couple of weeks. I kind of love this because his stock is just like rising just what, up right now. Right Ooh, when we need yeah. him to. Even though Mark Vientos is hot as hell, and I'll get into it in a moment, I would trade him ASAP like Rocky. Where I'll sign the papers. When do you need me to? I don't have a car right now, but I will drive him to wherever he needs to go. <laughs> Anyway, I'll rent one. I'll buy one. I don't care. I'll get Mark Vientos out of here if it means getting us some players. I don't even know if he's pitching anymore. He might need a hitter. I don't know where he's going to play. Whatever. But Mark Vientos ripping the cover off the ball. He has already this season matched his entire home run total from his last full season in A-ball in 72 less games with 12 home runs. He's killing it. Killing it. Over his last 22 games, which is the stretch I'm going to look at because that's when he got hot. I I cherry-picked those numbers, but that's because that's when he's good. Last 22 games, he's slashing 341, 417 with a whopping 765 slugging percentage. 765. 10 home runs, 10 of the 12 in those 22 games. 210 WRC+, which means he is more than two times as good as the league average hitter in the Eastern League right now. And only a 24% strikeout rate, which is entirely manageable for a double layer who's 21 years old. Uh, yeah, we've been seeing 40% for him. So getting in the twos somewhere mm-hmm. with a 20 in the front of it, yeah, I'm interested in that. That's really big, huge for his his stock here as the Mets are definitely going to be looking to ship him out. Because two of the other guys that we got here, Alvarez and Beatty, two of our hottest hitters in the minors, headed to the Futures game, which would be sick because now mm-hmm. you get to see these guys on the national level. And as we've seen with some previous Futures games, this is a little bit of a coming out party for a lot of prospects. And the oh, Mets yeah. with Beatty and Alvarez, Mets fans know who they are, but not everyone else does. So this is going to be a big opportunity for them hope to see them play well now it's gonna be fun to see them hitting Coors Field too at the altitude especially hitting with the whipping winds of Brooklyn on the beach yes Alvarez is gonna be fun there for sure yeah it's gonna be great and then uh I feel like Mauricio might feel a little bit left out after this he might feel a little left out but he's also a guy who could like eh, he could hop in next year he's still young he's got lots of time and unfortunately for him he plays the position that everyone does which is shortstop in the minors so squeezed by shortstops and he has also been hot he hit a nuke couple nights ago on Wednesday night that uh, Jacob Resnick, Mr. Prospect, posted on Twitter. He crushed the ball. Crushed that. Guy that stared at it right over the left field fence. He did miss today's game, got an x-ray in his hands that came back negative, I believe, so no real issues there, Mauricio, but just Mets fans continue to be excited about these three guys. And then on the pitching side, who you got? I got I see a couple names here that I've never heard of in my <laughs> life. I threw, I threw a couple names in here. I feel like we've been talking about the same prospects over and over again, so I wanted to give two new guys a little bit of shine. Two starting pitchers on the Cyclones. First one is Jose Budo. I hope I'm saying that right. There's I found nowhere in the internet who that told me how to pronounce that. So Jose Budo, he is second in the Mets organization right now, swing strike rate, only behind McGill, which is pretty impressive in and of itself because McGill rose from Double A to the majors and we felt like a month, literally a month. May he yeah. started the season in May, June he's pitching against the Braves. He's 25% K rate for 7% walk rate. His ERA is still a little bit ugly at four and a half. But 
I don't know. If I see those strikeouts and those swing strike totals at that point for a starter who, if you dig a little bit deeper into his scouting report, he doesn't really have the best fastball. Again, it's very hard to find velocity readings for a lot of these guys, and I couldn't find them for Budo, but Fangraphs grades it as a 40, and that's on a scale of 80. So it's not it's basically a mediocre fastball. So a guy who's dependent on his off-speed stuff down in high A, it's impressive to see those kind of strikeout totals. Another guy from a similar ilk is Justin Lasco. 24-year-old who just got called up from St. Lucie after just a month playing there. His first two starts for Brooklyn were very rough, but in his last three, he's really smoothed it out. 18 innings pitch, five earned runs, 16 strikeouts, and just two walks. Again, a theme as I keep doing these prospect reports, we keep doing these prospect reports, is looking at the guys who don't have the explosive fastballs, who are just command artists, who aren't walking guys, not giving up free passes. That's your quickest way to majors. And I think there's a chance for both of these guys to contribute at some point in their careers on the major league level. Probably never going to be frontline starters, but we could get like a John Neese, Dylan G out of these folks. Which they were serviceable starters for us. I mean, Neese got some legitimate innings for us and big years for us. So that would be fine. I'm good. Guys to keep on the back burner. And of course, we got to talk about your boy who you've been raving about all year long. Alex Ramirez continues to be a beast. What a fucking call by your boy. What a call. You're normally the pitching guy. You hit it the head, yeah. nail on the head, it looks like, with this hitter. Pitching in prospects, baby. Pitching in prospects. But this 18-year-old is ripping the cover off the ball right now in single A. Low A St. Lucie. Is it called low A now or just A? It's low know. A. Low A? He's one of the youngest players in the entire league. I'm honestly shocked they didn't hold him back for the Florida and Arizona Instructional Leagues that have started up over the past week. But damn. That first week when we did the prospect report for him in May, he literally had one bad week, and he has completely taken off since then. Over his last 16 games, since he had one hit in his first five, he's hitting 333 with a 385 on base and a 528 slugging percentage, eight extra base hits, and six stolen bases as a leadoff hitter as an 18-year-old in low A. He's crushing baseballs, man. Crushing it. He's got a 30% K rate, which, again, he's 18. That's going to happen, but I don't want to exaggerate when I tell you guys that this kid has legit top 10 prospect potential. Which I love to hear. I love yeah. to hear about the hitting prospects of the Mets organization because, as we know, we uh, look like we need some some hitters coming up here. Call, you want to call him up now? <laughs> I don't know. I'll if call. Hold. I'll call up Alex Ramirez. Let's see what he's got. Yeah. Let's be aggressive with Alex Ramirez. But I think it's a good little prospect report here for us. Next week we're going to be doing a draft special during the midweek because I'm a little bit of a draft guy here. I, I get deep into it. Just came back from the combine, so I've got a lot to share. I got a lot of guys that I hope the Mets. We'll take a shot on. I saw the Mets scout there. Don't know who he was looking at, but hopefully he was looking at these guys. Lots of good talent there in the draft. So we'll talk about that. Hopefully it was Will Bednar. Yeah, well, he wasn't at the Combine, but yeah. That's true, yeah. But hopefully we'll, I mean, have some guys to talk about there. I got a lot of names. We'll do that next episode. I think that's going to wrap up our episode here, though. Episode number 28 of the Mets Stuff Podcast. I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Mets Up, the YouTube channel Mets Up Podcast. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Rate us five stars. Drop a review. It really does help us out. Otherwise, guys, we'll talk to you at the end of the Subway Series with the New York Yankees. Thank you, mo- thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace out. Thanks for listening.